Section 11 of The Pearl Fountain and Other Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. The Pearl Fountain and Other Fairy Tales by Bridget and Julia Cavanaugh. Featherhead. Prince Crystal and Princess Crystal, his wife, were a great prince and princess. They were very fond of one another, but could never be of the same mind. For Prince Crystal was all about soldiering, drilling, and fighting, and Princess Crystal was all for fiddling, dancing, and merrymaking. When their only child, a boy, was born, they both declared he was the loveliest of babies, but could not agree at all about the name they should give him. "'Let baby have a fairy godmother,' said the old king, "'and she will settle that matter.' The very thing, said Prince Crystal. We will ask Poppy to name the child. Not Poppy, said the princess. She is spiteful. Let us go to Fancy Tansy. But Prince Crystal said that Fancy Tansy was stingy, and that Poppy was generous when she was in a good humour. And if we take Baby with us, said the prince, she will not only give him a name, but present him with some fairy gift or other. The princess still wanted to have Fancy Tansy for the child's godmother, but the old king thought a fairy gift was worth having, and Prince Crystal had his way. The prince and princess found Poppy at home, but very much out of temper. The cat had got into her study and spilt a fairy wash, which had been three hundred years in making, and which would have been the finest thing in the world for tan and freckles in two hundred years more. Well, said she quite crossly, when she saw the prince and princess and the baby. What do you want, and what have you got there? Prince Crystal told her what brought them, and asked her so politely to give a name to baby that Poppy became more gracious, and answered quite kindly, Come with me, and I will give baby a name and something along with it. She took them to the room in which she kept her fairy gifts. They were very valuable, but not all pretty to look at, and Princess Crystal was quite disappointed as she saw them. "'These are not things for babies, my dear,' said Poppy. "'Indeed, I have only three gifts left which would do for your boy. "'This pair of boots, this sword, and this cap. "'You may take which you like best.' "'The boots were scarlet and very pretty. "'The sword had a gold scabbard enameled with green, "'and the cap was the loveliest blue satin cap that had ever been seen.' and though they were all the size just fit for a baby, they were to grow with him and last him his life, said Poppy. Prince Crystal looked at the sword. I shall take that, said he. Who ever heard of a sword for a baby, cried the princess. Besides, the cap is much prettier. Have the boots, said Poppy. Why so, asked the prince. Never mind, have the boots. When the prince and princess heard Poppy advising them to take the boots, they made sure this must be the worst gift of the three, and the prince wanted the sword and the princess the cap more than ever. They nearly quarrelled about it, but Princess Crystal at last won the day, and the blue satin cap was put on Baby's head. Fairy Poppy was very much displeased that her advice had not been taken, but she pretended not to care, and as they were going away, she took a white feather stuck it in the baby's cap, and said, 
There now, you have had your way, and much good may it do you. The prince and princess were scarcely out of the fairy's palace when they remembered that Poppy had not named the child after all. She was such a touchy fairy, and so apt to take offence, that they did not venture to go back to her, but they began quarrelling as usual, each blaming the other for having forgotten the very thing they came for. It is all on account of that blue cap and feather, said the prince. I shall never call baby anything but Featherhead. Well, answered the princess, who was so pleased with the cap that she cared about nothing else. I think Featherhead is as good a name as any. The old king was delighted with the cap, and he agreed with Princess Crystal that it was most becoming to baby. Indeed, they both thought that he looked too well with it ever to take it off, so Baby kept his cap on night and day, for being a fairy cap, it always looked quite fresh and new. Featherhead grew up to be a very handsome and clever young prince, but his temper was like the feather in his cap. Whichever way the wind blew went Featherhead. He could never stay long at one thing, and when a fancy crossed his mind, he thought of nothing else however wild and foolish it might be. When he shook his hat off to have his hair combed and brushed, Featherhead became so sensible that no one could believe he was the same prince, but the moment his cap was on again, Featherhead became as wild as ever. The worst of it was that, having always heard his mother say he never looked so handsome as when he wore his cap, he could not bear to have it off his head and unless in very hot weather, he actually slept in it. The old king and Prince Crystal died the same year, and Featherhead became king when he was just twenty. Princess Crystal at once went to see Fancy Tansy, who was her own godmother, and begged of her to give the young king some good advice. My son is the best, the handsomest, and the cleverest king, said she but he is always doing the most foolish things and getting into trouble. If I say a word to him, he laughs and shakes his white feather at me and looks so handsome that I forget what I meant to say. And if anyone else ventures to advise or remonstrate, hold your tongue, says Featherhead, the moment he hears a word he does not like. I know, said Fancy Tansy, nodding. It is all Poppy's doing, my dear. However, I shall look after him. Fancy Tansy is coming to see you, said Princess Crystal to Featherhead when she came home. Mind you are civil to her. And Featherhead, who was a good-natured young king, promised to be very polite. He was alone in his room one day when the window flew open, and in whisked Fancy Tansy in a little tortoise-shell car drawn by two blue griffins. The car being a fairy like its owner immediately became so small that on alighting, Fancy Tansy put it on the table, and the griffins, fairies too, who were a sort of pony griffin, and remarkably diminutive, got under the sofa, and then stared at Featherhead. Now, what are you doing? said Fancy Tansy, for the young king was sitting back in his chair, his heels were on the table, and he was kicking at something, first with one foot, then with the other. Don't you see? answered Featherhead. I am kicking that sunbeam. How silly you must be, said Fancy Tansy. Featherhead, you ought to get married. 
Featherhead did not like Fancy Tansy's fashion of coming in through the window. He did not like being called silly, and he had no wish to get married just yet. But all this he could have borne if it had not been for the griffins, and the way they winked at him with their little cunning black eyes that seemed to say, Come now, no nonsense. That may do for Fancy Tansy, but it will not do for us. Bless you, Featherhead. We know all about you. Indeed, these griffins provoked the young king so much that, though he went on kicking the sunbeam, he also tried to get a slight kick at them. Featherhead, said Fancy Tansy, I see what you are at. Take off your cap. I won't, said Featherhead, upon which the little tortoiseshell car grew large again. The griffins came out from under the sofa, and Fancy Tansy, car and griffins, all whisked away through the window. The next time Fancy Tansy came in through the window in her tortoiseshell car and griffins, she found Featherhead sitting back in his chair with his heels up on the table. At it again, said Fancy Tansy. Now, what do you do that for? I think you are always at it, said Featherhead, and he was going to add that he was kicking a sunbeam when he caught the little griffin staring at him from under the sofa and their little black eyes saying as plain as plain could be, Come, none of your nonsense. Fancy Tansy may believe that, but we know better. Featherhead, said the fairy, I have got a beautiful princess for you, and you must marry her. I don't mind if I do, said Featherhead, for he thought that if he were once married, Fancy Tansy would not come so often. But when the fairy went on to say that the princess was very rich and had this thing and that thing, he asked quite sharply, has she got griffins? Four, said Fancy Tansy. Then, said Featherhead, I'll never marry her. Take off your cap, said Fancy Tansy. I won't, answered Featherhead, for he saw the griffins blinking and winking at him from under the sofa, and he felt so sure it was they who made all the mischief that he got quite cross. Featherhead, said the fairy, if you do not marry the princess I have got for you, and if you do not take off your cap this moment, you shall not see me or my griffins in a hurry. So much the better, cried Featherhead in a rage, for I am tired of being lectured and snubbed by you and your griffins, and I will neither marry your princess nor take off my cap. The words were scarcely out of his mouth when the window flew open and Carr, Griffins and Fairy were gone. Featherhead never kept long of the same mind. Fancy Tansy was scarcely out of sight when he thought he might as well have married the princess. He was sorry he had not asked her name, but when someone told him that Ruby was the most beautiful princess living, he made up his mind to marry her if she would have him. Princess Ruby agreed to become his queen, provided he came to fetch her. Featherhead accordingly set off with a great suite, and travelled night and day till he came to the princess's country. As soon as Featherhead saw Ruby, he fell desperately in love with her, and the moment she saw him in his blue satin cap with the white feather in it, she declared he was the handsomest and the grandest king she had ever seen. Tell him to take off his cap, said the princess nurse to her. Oh, nurse, answered Ruby, that would be a pity, he looks so well in it. 
I don't like that nurse of yours, said Featherhead to Ruby. And what are these black cats that are always after her? For he thought the nurse's black cats looked like the blue griffins. Cats, said the princess. Well, they are cats to be sure. Are you fond of jagged hair, she went on, because I am, and oh, Featherhead, I should so like a hair of your shooting. Then you shall have one tomorrow, said Featherhead, who knew he was a first-rate marksman. Early the next morning, Featherhead took a gun and went out. He had not walked long in the park before a fine hare ran past him. He was taking aim when the hare said, Why, Featherhead, what do you want with that gun? Featherhead answered, I am going to shoot you and take you home to the princess. Why not catch me alive, said the hare. It will be greater fun, besides I am much handsomer alive than dead. Throw down that gun and run after me. Not that I can run, for as you see, I have a bad foot. Featherhead looked at the hare and saw that she was limping, so throwing down his gun, he agreed to take her alive. Ah, but let us have some sport first, said the hare. To be sure, answered Featherhead, start fair. The hare began leaping on before him, and Featherhead followed her close, but somehow or other, the hare, though she limped sadly at first, limped less and less as she ran, and got farther and farther from Featherhead. You go too fast, said he. Nonsense, said the hare. Keep up with me. I am sure you can if you try. On hearing this, Featherhead did his best, but the faster he ran, the faster ran the hare, and the greater grew the distance between them. Featherhead became very hot, and thought he would take off his cap, which his mother had always made him fasten under his chin for fear of accidents, but when the hare saw what he was about, she protested. Oh, Featherhead, how can you, said she. Why, to see you running with that cap on your head and that white feather flying is quite a treat to me. Very well, answered Featherhead. I shall keep the cap on to please you, though I often wish I had never had it. It is so hot and uncomfortable at times. But you must not run so fast. Besides, you don't limp now. It is the running, answered the hare. It has done me a world of good. I should like a run with you every morning, Featherhead. That can't be, said Featherhead. The princess must have you today. Well, then, since this is to be your last run, said the hare, let it be a good one. So off she went, like the wind, and Featherhead, though no one had ever beaten him running, was soon quite exhausted. He threw himself down panting, and had only just breath enough to say, Stop a bit, will you? I can't go on any farther. The hare replied that she did not mind taking a rest, so she too threw herself down opposite him and lay nibbling the grass. When she had eaten enough, she asked Featherhead if he was ready. Oh, dear no, answered he. When the hare heard this, she rose, looked at him, laughed in his face and leapt away. In a second she had vanished under cover, but Featherhead, who started up to follow her, could hear her laughing as she went, and all the echoes round said, Ha! Ha! with the hare, and laughed at him. In his vexation, Featherhead tore off his cap. 
Why, what a ninny I have been, said he as soon as it was off his head. Who ever heard of running after a hare? No wonder she laughed at me. But the moment he put on his cap again to go back to the palace, he began to think he had not been so foolish after all, only a little unlucky. He was sorry, however, to disappoint the princess of her jugged hair. I must get her something else instead, thought Featherhead. Featherhead never travelled without all his cooks. The moment he reached the palace, he sent for them, and bade them tell him of some wonderful dish which he could cook himself for Princess Ruby. The head cook said one thing, and the undercook said another thing, and Featherhead disliked all their suggestions. Give me your cookery book, said he to the head cook. When Featherhead had the cookery book, he read it all through till he came to the receipt for a sweet omelette. To one gill of cream put four well-beaten eggs, sugar, cinnamon, and a pinch of salt. Fry a nice light brown on a slow fire, sift fine sugar over. The easiest thing in the world, thought Featherhead, and much nicer than jugged hair. I shall make it myself. Featherhead asked for cream, egg, sugar, cinnamon, and salt, then went down to the kitchen, locked himself in, and set about making his omelette. The great thing is to beat the eggs well, thought he. So he beat up his eggs, and was a long time about it. The shells gave him a good deal of trouble, for as the book said nothing about throwing them away, Featherhead took care to keep them every one. When he was tired beating up the eggs, he fried his omelette in nice light brown, as the book had said, sifted fine sugar over it, and sent it up to the princess, with his compliments, and he hoped she would like it much better than jugged hair. The princess sent back her compliments to Featherhead, and said she was very much obliged to him. But she was so vexed at not getting the hair he had promised her, that she would not touch the omelette. She pretended to have the toothache, and told her maids of honour they might eat it if they pleased. When the first maid of honour tasted the omelette, a piece of eggshell cut her tongue. "'What a delicious omelette!' said she. When the second maid of honour tasted the omelette, a bit of the eggshell got between her teeth. "'Such a flavour," said she. "'Delicious, a flavour," said the third maid of honour. Why, there was never such an omelette yet. And she swallowed a large piece of eggshell as she spoke. When Princess Ruby heard them all praising the omelette so much, she thought she would like a bit. My toothache is better, said she. Give me just one little wee morsel to taste King Petterhead's omelette. But the moment the bit of omelette was in her mouth, the princess gave a little scream. Why, this omelette is made of eggshells, said she. Has King Featherhead done it to affront me? I have a great mind never to look at him again. Well, it was too bad of King Featherhead, said the three maids of honour, and if your royal highness were not so sweet-tempered as you are, you would never forgive him. Hold your tongue, said the princes, and go and tell King Featherhead to come up to me. My dear, said the nurse of the princess, who sat knitting behind her chair, tell Featherhead to take off his cap. When Featherhead came, expecting to be praised for his omelette, 
The princess scolded him, so that he was in despair. It is all the fault of that stupid cookery book, he was going to say, when he caught the nurse's black cat peeping from under the princess's chair, and winking and blinking at him as much as to say, Come now, no nonsense. My dear Ruby, said he, how can you keep these hideous beasts about you? Beasts? What beasts? You do not mean nurse's cats, said Ruby. She has promised me four kittens. They may be cats, said Featherhead, but they look very like griffins, and I would drown the kittens if I were you. This reminded the princess that she was to tell Featherhead to take off his cap, but when she looked at him she found him so handsome with that blue cap and white feather that she could not make up her mind to do it. I don't think I could marry him if he had not his cap on, thought Ruby, so she said nothing about it. And now, thought Featherhead, when he and Princess Ruby were friends again, what am I to do? The hare would not wait till I caught it. The stupid book never told me to throw away the eggshells. What nice thing shall I get to please Ruby? Featherhead would have liked to get that nice thing for the next day's dinner, which was to be a grand one, but he could neither cook it himself nor let anyone cook it for him. And so, though he thought and thought till his head ached, he found nothing for the whole of that day. The next morning, Featherhead rode out, still thinking of the nice thing he could get for the princess. As he passed by a cottage, he saw a beehive, and it so happened that he had never seen one before. "'What is that?' said Featherhead to his servant. "'A beehive, your majesty.' "'And what is there inside of it?' asked Featherhead. The servant replied that there was honey within the beehive, but he did not say that there were bees too. "'Honey,' said Featherhead. "'Why, honey is sweet stuff, of course.' It is delicious sweet stuff. I remember all about it. And in a moment it flashed across his mind that Princess Ruby was very fond of sweet things, and that he could not do better than get that beehive and set it on the table for the dessert. But it must be a surprise, thought Featherhead. Not a word about it, must I say, till the time comes. So he rode back to the palace without so much as giving the beehive another look. As he was going upstairs, he met Princess Ruby coming down, and when he saw her, he could not help boasting a little. Aha, said he, you still think about the jugged hare, I dare say, and about the sweet omelette, and you do not know what a noble dish I am going to have for you and your guests by and by. Do not ask me what it is, because I will never tell. Shall I guess? asked Ruby. You may guess, said Featherhead but I shall never tell. The princess named many things, but she never thought of honey, and Featherhead laughed and was delighted. When dinner time came round, Featherhead bade his servant take the cloth of gold, which he kept for state occasions, and follow him with four of his handsomest pages. He then rode off to the cottage, and bade his servant throw the cloth of gold over the beehive. "'May it please your majesty,' began the man. "'Hold your tongue,' said Featherhead. "'Do as I bid you, and let my pages carry this beehive to the palace.' The servant did as he was bid, and the pages took up the beehive and carried it off in state. 
Stop, stop, cried a boy, running out of the cottage. Take that, said Featherhead, tossing him a purse of gold, and hold your tongue. May it please your majesty, said the boy. Hold your tongue, said Featherhead, and he rode away in a great hurry, and would not listen to the boy, who was only going to tell him that there were neither bees nor honey in the hive, which was an old one, but only a set of wasps who had got in there, and whom his father was going to burn out that very night. I think we will not wait for dessert, said Featherhead to the pages. Take that beehive in and lay it on the table before the princess. May it please your majesty, said the pages. Hold your tongue, said Featherhead. So the pages did as they were bid. When the guests came in and saw the cloth of gold, they wondered what delicious dish was under it, and they all sat down expecting something they had never had before. Princess Ruby was very impatient to know what Featherhead had brought her in such state. Featherhead, said she, do get that cloth taken off, if you please. Take off the cloth, said Featherhead to the pages. The pages took off the cloth, and the princess and the guests stared when they saw a beehive. That is a beehive, said Featherhead to the princess. I dare say you had never seen a beehive before. Indeed I had, she answered very crossly, for she was quite disappointed. Well, I had not, said Featherhead, and it is full of honey, and you like honey, I am sure. Yes, but I don't like it out of a beehive, said Ruby, still very cross, and I do not like bees. Bees? Why, these are wasps, she cried, as a whole swarm came out of the hive, buzzing around the room, settling on all the dishes, and stinging the people right and left. Princess Ruby was one of the first stung and flew out of the room screaming. Well, there never had been at Princess Ruby's court anything like the disturbance there was now with these wasps. Everyone pushed and tumbled against everybody else, and still more wasps came out of the hive, buzzing and stinging, till everyone fled before them. And the room and the palace were full of them, and Featherhead was beside himself with shame and vexation. He sent for his servant, and threw all the blame upon him. "'How dare you bring that beehive in here?' said he in a rage. "'Why did you tell me there was honey in it when it was full of wasps?' "'Your majesty told me to hold my tongue,' answered the man. "'Besides, I did not know there were wasps in the hive.' "'Then the boy knew. Go and fetch that boy that I may have him hung,' cried Featherhead, who was still in a great passion." The servant went and fetched the boy. You knew there were wasps in that hive, and you never told me, said Featherhead to the boy. You shall hang for it. May it please your majesty, said the boy. You, you bade me hold my tongue. Then I cannot hang you, said Featherhead, nor the pages, for I bade them hold their tongue, nor myself, for I am always doing foolish things, and I never know why and all I can do is to go and beg Ruby's pardon. At first no one could tell Featherhead where Princess Ruby had gone to. At length a little page said she was in a summer house that overlooked the sea at the end of the garden, and her nurse was with her bathing her face, on account of all the wasps that had stung her. Featherhead went off at once to seek the princess, 
But the moment he entered the summer house, and she saw him, Ruby cried out, Go away! I hate you! Go away directly! But Featherhead, instead of going away, threw himself on his knees at her feet, and begged her to forgive him. I tell you, I hate you, and your cap and feather, said Ruby, who had a very quick temper, and in her rage she snatched the cap off his head, and flung it out of the window into the sea. The moment his cap was off, Featherhead stared and burst out laughing. Well, there never was such a ridiculous fellow as I have been, said he. But if you will forgive me this time, Ruby, I promise never to be so foolish again. You may believe him, my dear, said the nurse, who turned into Fancy Tansy, and was up in her car with the cats turned into griffins all in a moment. Featherhead will be very sensible now. It was all Poppy's doing. Poor Featherhead. Did you not know it was she who ran as the hare, and laughed at you, and enjoyed your folly, and that she wrote that cookery book, and kept the wasps quiet in the hive, till it was on the table? But I was your friend, Featherhead. You may tell your mother so. Now good-bye, and behave well, both of you. And Ruby has four griffins after all, Featherhead. And away she flew through the air, leaving Featherhead bareheaded, but as wise a king as ever was, and Ruby with every sting gone from her face, and the loveliest four little griffins frisking about her. My dear Ruby, said Featherhead, what beautiful little creatures these are. Oh, they are only kittens, said Ruby, but since it was all nurse's doing, I am very sorry I threw your cap into the sea, Featherhead. You do not look half so well since you are without it. I shall send a diver down for it. Featherhead was in despair when he heard her saying this, for he knew what would happen if he got the cap on again. But though the princess was obstinate, and sent ever so many divers down for the cap, and offered ever so much money to get it back again, no diver could find it for her. For when a fairy gift is lost or thrown away, it goes back to the fairy who bestowed it, and Featherhead's blue satin cap with the white feather had returned at once to its place in Poppy's palace, where it was quite ready for anyone to whom the fairy might choose to give it. Featherhead, however, never had it again. He married Ruby and took her home to his kingdom, and became the wisest king of his day. When Princess Crystal saw her son come back without his cap, she was inconsolable at the loss. It was no use for Fancy Tansy to tell her how foolish Featherhead had been whilst he wore that cap. Princess Crystal would answer, That is very true, but it was the handsomest cap I ever set my eyes on, and I never saw such a feather. Ruby too, though she was queen, and very happy with Featherhead, could not get used to him without his cap for a long time and to the last of her days she was vexed with herself for having flung it into the sea. But Featherhead got on very well without it, and indeed he was so much afraid of getting it back again, for he knew how mischievous Fairy Poppy was, that he never wore a cap to the day of his death. End of section 11. Recording by phone. End of the Pearl Fountain and Other Fairy Tales by Bridget and Julia Cavanaugh.